I'm not actually going to play the clip right now. I'm going to cut it in later. Okay, cool. Well, now that I know that we're going to do a little editing, I'm going to cough the cough I was suppressing. Go ahead. <coughs> Hello. Welcome to The Conversation by ELL Media Network. I am Ed Stone French. This is a radio podcast for American news, culture, and information for English language learners. We are English language educators who have created this show to talk about American news, culture, and politics for the benefit of English language learners. We are using simple language accessible to the second language learner to introduce them to current issues in American culture and society. Our guest today is, again, Aaron Hawley. And today's show is uh, a look back at the election. What happened? Uh, and we're going to look at what we talked about in earlier shows. I want to welcome uh, our guest, Aaron Hawley, to the show again. Uh, he's the program developer of the Reed College of Media at West Virginia University. He develops academic programming for the Department of Journalism, and he is a political nerd. Hey, thanks for having me. To uh, jump back into where we were, uh, I want to do a follow-up from our earlier uh, conversations before the election. We talked about a few things, and we made some predictions about the election, and uh, I want to look at that, and I want to re-evaluate re some of these predictions that not only you made, but um, a lot of people made. Um, That's true. <laughs> so if uh, can you tell us, can you summarize for us what happened uh, on election night? Uh, Donald Trump was elected uh, the next president of the United States. Well, president-elect for the time being. It was a it was a big electoral win for him, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was unpredicted, uh, for sure. Uh, maybe not unprecedented, but definitely uh, it caught a lot of people by surprise. And it, I think, has forced a lot of people to question some of the assumptions that they make about American politics, at least in 2016. So uh, this was another example of uh, one person, one candidate winning the Electoral College, but losing the popular vote, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is which has now happened, uh, you know, more frequently than it had, you know, in the couple hundred years previously. Uh, and so it does sort of spotlight uh, one of the interesting quirks about the electoral system in, in America, and it's one that's been a hot topic of debate uh, ever since election night and before election night. So just to review, um, the states that uh, voted for Clinton were predictably New York, California, um, New Jersey, Washington, Oregon, uh, Virginia, um, the Northeast, the East Coast, Colorado, New Mexico, um, but the West Coast. The West Coast. Uh, uh, what were the surprises? What were the surprise states, though? 
Well, okay, so I mean, in a nutshell, uh, for the most part, uh, Hillary Clinton won most of the states she was expected to. Uh, Donald Trump won all of the states he was expected to, and then he won a handful of states that uh, you know he did very well in the swing states that were the ones that we were talking about uh, before the election that were considered to be you know sort of on the borderline. But he also won some states that Hillary Clinton was really expected to win. And those states are, are all predominantly in the upper industrial Midwest in the central part of the country. States like uh, Wisconsin and Michigan that had been really reliably Democratic states. Uh, Ohio is always sort of a swing state and Trump won it. But but that stretch of uh, and, and the same thing with Pennsylvania, also a swing state, but Trump won it. But he really did well, uh, better than anyone imagined in that that swath along the sort of central northern part of the Midwest from from Pennsylvania and Ohio up through Michigan and Wisconsin. And really the only upper Midwestern state that that stayed true in the Democrats column was Minnesota. But that one was also probably much closer than expected. And Minnesota is considered a deep blue state, so it, it probably would have taken a little bit more for Trump to win there. But the reality is the way things went uh, across the, uh, you know, the rest of the Midwest, he, he had a great shot. What happened in those states like uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, th- because Democrats thought they were going to win these states? Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, they're reliably Democratic states for the most part, um, but they do have high concentrations of, uh, you know, non-college educated white people, many of whom were Obama voters twice. Uh, and, uh, and Trump really won that, that demographic in a way that, you know, Trump did unbelievably well with uneducated white men in New York city too, but he, you know, there are just, you know, the, the percentage of that demographic, uh, the percentage of, of, you know, white men without a college degree as, as a percentage of the general population is just so much higher in those states that it really, it really buoyed him. But, you know, he, he, he managed to, uh, he pulled off a really, really incredible surprise that I think that you're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of scholarly research done on over the next, 25 years. I mean, it's a really shocking elect- electoral outcome. Right. Um, but he, Trump won uh, a lot of voters that voted for Obama twice. Uh, mm-hmm. And that may surprise people. Uh, uh, I mean, I think it definitely surprised the Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> so as you point out, a lot of them are non-college educated white people in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Um, white working class. Um, but I, the, he didn't win by a lot in these States. I'm looking at Michigan. Uh, Trump won by about 10,000 votes out, out of, uh, it's, it's over 5 million. Yeah, Um, no, absolutely. And, and so Michigan's really the shocking one. I, I think, if only because it was so close, not that it would have changed the outcome of the election. If you, I mean, if you just flip that one state, Trump still wins. But uh, 
it's so close that there's uh, there's a lot of things that that could have won it for Hillary. Not that you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's easy to second guess stuff like that. And a lot of people have pointed to the fact that you know, in a lot of cases, the Democrats did seem to take those votes for granted. You know, this is Michigan. This is a state whose economy was saved by President Obama in no uncertain terms. And that's not really just like a partisan statement that I'm making. I mean, that, that, that those are pretty much the facts. And uh, those voters felt like this time around, Donald Trump was going to give them a better deal. And he appealed directly to them. I mean, and that's uh, that's one of the things that, that I think won the election for him. Uh, I read, a, I, and I forget who you know, who was writing it, but I, I read an interesting sort of breakdown of the election after the fact, and they said that one of the things, the really genius things that, that Trump understands is that when you talk about the economy to regular people, that only means jobs, right? And it's not to deny the interconnectedness of all of this stuff, of jobs and monetary policy and imports and exports, and really all the things that make up a, a uh, sort of, you know, complex market economy, uh, Trump knows that none of that stuff matters, at least not to his people. And he's just going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to keep your job. You're going to have a better job. You're going to be able to work, you know, and, and the Democrats came in and said, yeah, you'll get a better deal. You'll get better government programs, but most people don't want government programs. They want to work. Um, they said, we're going to do all this stuff that will stimulate the economy. We're going to do tax breaks, all this stuff. And, you know, I think people just tune out on that. Um, I was saying something recently that the sort of genius of Donald Trump uh, at sort of contrasted with Hillary Clinton is Donald Trump went to his people and he said, look, I'm going to give you pie. It's going to be the most delicious pie you've ever had. And you're going to love it. It's the best pie. And I'm going to give it to you. And Hillary Clinton went to her people and she said, we understand that the most important thing is that first we start with organic apples and that we handcraft these apples and that we make sure that the, uh, the crust is perfectly glazed with butter because that's what really crisps it up. And I like to add a little cinnamon to the mix because it, it, it adds this new and interesting dynamic and it really brings my cinnamon lovers on board. And it's one of those things where at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton may have been describing a more superior piece of pie. But but people tuned out, you know, and, and they didn't react in the same. I mean, Donald Trump has gotten, I think it's undeniable, Donald Trump has gotten a visceral reaction from people, both for and against, in a way that Hillary Clinton was not able to inspire. And I say that as someone who really, really wanted Hillary Clinton to be the president and really did think she was a much more appealing uh, politician and option than, than a lot of people I know. But, uh, but the response to her was just, you know, I mean, people treated Trump like a rock star and, uh, people treated Hillary Clinton like, uh, you know, a well-respected substitute teacher and maybe it matters, you know, maybe it matters. Yeah. Uh, I like that pie description. Hillary may have had the better pie, but Trump did a better job of selling his pie. So, Sure. And, you know, so, so many people were so aghast at the whole idea of Donald Trump that I think maybe they missed that 
the only thing he's good at is is a salesman and a promoter. And that matters. I mean, in an election, that matters. You have to sell yourself. You've got to sell your ideas. And uh, you have to promote. Maybe it matters more than we thought it did. Interesting. So it might it it will be interesting to see uh, how this might change uh, presidential races in the future. Is it going to become more about selling uh, selling your ideas to the public? I think it always has been about that. But I I think the the thing that tilted the presidential election is that Donald Trump was so hated by a, a portion of the population that. That the Democrats and they sort of felt they could just keep pointing to how horrible this guy was, you know, and and it was a justified strategic decision because that's what the polls showed. American people thought he was repugnant, but they never she never really came out and made her sale in the way that that Donald Trump did. And I think ultimately that she paid for that. And and I don't even think it was is a question of having to make her sales pitch to convert Republican voters. I, I think it's make the sales pitch to your base because again, you're talking about Michigan. She loses it by 10,000 votes out of 5 million. And the stat that I saw that was, that was utterly stunning about Michigan, right? So when the margin is that close at 10,000 votes, obviously she could have won if all of the third party votes voted for her would have been more than enough. Jill Stein had, had, I don't know, 20 or 30,000 votes, more than enough. But the, the stunning thing to me is that out of, out of 5 million uh, or so ballots cast in Michigan, 100,000 people did not cast a vote for president. And that's stunning. I mean, if you can pick up 10,000 of those votes, you know, and, and I don't know what the demographics are of Michigan off the top of my head, but you can assume that maybe... 50,000 of those 100,000 voters are voting for Democrats down ballot. They're voting for Democrats for, for Congress and for local elections. So they're not voting for Hillary Clinton, but they're voting. These are not people who stayed home. 100,000 people did not cast a vote in an election decided by 10,000 votes. And, and that's amazing. I mean, that, that to me, like if, if you had asked me to like point to one thing that I find sort of the most stunning and surprising about the election, it's, it's, that. For Barack Obama, the young people came out and voted in huge numbers, uh, and some people say that that's what really won the election for Obama uh, was young people. Uh, did young people come out and vote in this election? I mean, yeah, and no. I mean, all the demographic groups in general turned out about the way you would expect them, except not quite at Obama's numbers, at least on, on the Democratic side of the ticket. Uh, the There's no candidate for president in the history of the United States that's got, on in either party, that's gotten more votes than Barack Obama. And second place on that list is Hillary Clinton, but she loses this election. And I mean, if, if you want to point fingers and you want to blame, like, why did this happen? It, you know, I do think it is reliably Democratic constituencies did not feel excited enough by their candidate to really turn out quite the same way they did. But, you know, it it's 
it's also very localized. And I mean, that's the part, that's the part of the election. You know, if you get a little bit more excitement in Michigan, it goes a long way and you don't necessarily even have to generate a little more excitement everywhere else, you know? Okay. So I'm going to, uh, play a clip here. Uh, now I don't mean to single you out, Aaron, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, because I know that uh, you were one of many, many people who said the exact same thing. Um, but I am going to play the clip because um, it, it is what a lot of people were thinking at that time. Mm-hmm. So here it is. Other people are saying this is not a normal election. We don't really know what's going to happen. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have a response to that? I do. And I, I have a very strong response to that. Um, and that's that we do know what's happened. And Hillary Clinton is going to be elected president by a landslide. And, and what, I, what I mean by saying we know this is what's going to happen is that right now that's what the polling says is going to happen. Uh, so. Well, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, let's be clear. I was wrong. As you mentioned, many other people were as well. Uh, the thing I would point out, I guess, is according to my, uh, my Skype history, I believe we recorded that episode, uh, August 25th or roundabouts. So it, uh, you know, there's still a couple months left in the election and, and some crazy stuff happened after we, after we talked about that and the, and the race fluctuated pretty dramatically. I mean, you had the Hillary Clinton health scandal. Which, again, it's not even the idea that I would even call it a scandal. It's not a scandal. She got sick at a memorial event uh, to commemorate commemorate September 11th. And that became a big news story for a while. And then, of course, I think the thing that people will point to for, you know, many, many years of of sort of scholarly historians will look back and they'll point to the, the James Comey FBI letter that... That seemed, you know, that was released, uh, you know, a week, or ten days before the election. That essentially said that the Hillary Clinton email investigation was back on. You know, I think that that really, that really damaged her. And and when you talk about an election where just taking, just a, you know, a shred of enthusiasm off of the top of your base costs you the election. I mean, I think, I think that's. I mean, if I had to say what cost Hillary Clinton the election because she was, quote unquote, so far ahead, I would say it's the FBI acting in an unprecedented way. So our listeners might not understand what happened with the uh, letter from James Comey. Uh, Could you take a minute and explain what that was? Sure. So Hillary Clinton was investigated for her. You know, email practices, having a private server while she was secretary of state and the FBI investigated and a couple of months, uh, you know, before Election Day pretty much came out and said, we've investigated. There's there's we're not going to bring any sort of charges. This is a done deal investigation over. And about again, and I don't have it in front of me, but it was about a, a week to 10 days before Election Day. Uh, James Comey, the director of the FBI, sent a letter to select Republicans in Congress to notify them that the investigation had been reopened because they discovered some new emails in a different investigation, which turned out to be an investigation uh, 
into Anthony Weiner, the disgraced congressman from New York, whose uh, wife or soon-to-be ex-wife, Huma Abedin, is a close Hillary Clinton aide. And essentially what it boiled down to was they were doing, you know, electronic forensics on a couple of devices in that case. They fa- they saw some some emails from Hillary Clinton on these devices, and they had to double check and see if they'd even, A, seen these emails before or if these emails were, you know, in violation of, of any laws or any other, uh, you know, information protocols as far as uh, the State Department is concerned. Uh, but they made this announcement that just sort of said, we found these emails and the investigation is still on. Uh, three or four days later, they made another announcement that said, oh, actually, it was nothing. Like, nope, we're still good. Doesn't change anything. No big deal. Um, but that, you know, that really, really impacted the race. And I think it, you know, the skeptical Hillary voter, the voter that was prepared to vote for Hillary wasn't really happy about it, maybe didn't love Donald Trump. Uh, didn't love Hillary Clinton either. Uh, I think, you know, that voter stayed home because of that. And I think that could be what cost her the election, especially when you see that some of these states, the margin is incredibly thin. Uh, we talked about changes happening in states, uh, new, changes in demographics in places like Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, um, and how these states uh, are becoming more democratic. But uh, they voted strongly for Trump. Are these changes still happening in these states? Or is this an illusion? Is this real? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, in the case of North Carolina, it's an interesting one because that's a state that uh, pretty much worked really hard to disenfranchise African-Americans and got caught and has actually been... uh, ordered to rebuild their whole election system. But of course that it's too late now, (laughs) you know, that, that can only help in the future. Uh, I do think that there, I mean, Texas is closer than it ever should be. Uh, You know, Utah kind of got muddied up by Evan McMullen, but, but that's the lowest percentage the Republicans gotten in Utah in a long time. Uh, you know, there there are democrat there are demographic trends definitely heading in that direction. But part of the problem uh, is that a lot of the sort of uh, diversification of America is happening in in select states where those votes. You know, I don't want to say they don't matter, but they're not they're not influencing the outcome in the same way that you know, ten thousand more young people or twenty thousand more people of color would make an impact in some of these, say, Rust Belt states. So, so um, you know, to keep with that for a minute, the, the states like uh, California, New York, East Coast, West Coast states voted overwhelmingly for Clinton. So, and she won the popular vote by two and a half million, which is, which is a very big number, really. Uh, sure. And... Sure. Last time this happened, I think it was like 50,000 or 100,000. I mean, it was it was not a margin in the millions. Right. It was under a million, definitely. Um, uh, and uh, so a lot of people are now questioning whether we should have the Electoral College at all. And I, I, I kind of want to have a debate about this uh, okay. at some time. But I just want to ask you sure. real quick. Should we 
get rid of the Electoral College? No. <laughs> and uh, can you tell me why you think that? So I, I think it's important that we still that there's still some uh, regional considerations in electing the president. I think it's important to have that we have 50 separate elections than than one big election, even if it does ultimately add up to the same thing. Um, and as someone who's from a small state and lives in a small state that is fairly politically marginalized anyway, uh, I don't want to give up what bit of influence that we have. Now, the argument against the Electoral College is it, is it benefits rural states. It benefits states with uh, lower populations, and that's totally true. I would not have a problem with adjusting the weight somewhat. But I still think it's important that we have 50 winner-take-all elections so that, you know, uh, just for instance, you know, an election in West Virginia where maybe it's, you know, 800,000 votes uh, to 700,000 votes, the, the, the winner, you know, the winner of that election still takes all the Electoral College votes and are not overshadowed by, you know, three neighborhoods in Brooklyn that have 1.5 million people in it or something. Right. Um, but I, but really, so what my sort of compromise to all of that would be that I would take the Senate out of things, which is to say, I, I would be fine if we adjusted down the sort of proportions of electoral college votes to match the house of representatives right now. It matches the full Congress. And because of that, because of the way the Senate is designed, where every state gets the same number of electors, that's where you get these disproportionate ballot, you know, this this balance of, uh, you know, of small states having a little bit more influence. And, and they still would, but it would feel a little less out of hank to me. Like, I feel like it, it, so it would... So every state uh, receives uh, two votes because they have two senators, and then more because of the, the population that's in those states. So. It, it, well, exactly. So because the House of Representatives is, a por is, is proportioned to the population, um, you have some states who have fewer members of the House of Representatives uh, than they have senators. Like, for instance, you know, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana. The, these are all three electoral college vote states, which means their representatives uh, in the Capitol are their two senators who equal New York's two senators, California's two senators. Uh, but then they only have one member of the House of Representatives, while New York has 27 members of the House of Representatives, California has 53. So, you know, giving Montana one electoral college vote while reducing uh, California's electoral college votes from 55 to 53 would still mean that Montana's votes are weighted heavier than, uh, you know, the one vote in Montana still has a little bit more weight than one vote in California, but it, I think the balance, it would, it would come back into balance a little bit more. But I think at the end of the day, I think geography is important and I don't know how you, how you keep that in there, you know, how, how you keep that as an influence in this election, because, you know, look, the argument from a lot of people, from a lot of liberals, from probably the, the argument that you would make, the argument that a lot of my friends make, um, is that, you know, well, this is terrible because more people in New York voted, uh, you know, 
for Hillary Clinton and and those people's votes were devalued somehow and and that's just not fair. But when you look at this election, the the electoral college kind of worked the exact way it was supposed to in that this president was elected because of a specific regional grievance and he addressed that and those people feel like they got their voices heard and and i don't really have a problem with it from from that perspective like i hope i hope you know i'm i'm trying to be as optimistic as possible that the country will still be here in four years but you know when you have Hillary Clinton, you know, if, if somebody says, look, the story of the election is Hillary Clinton ignored the grievances of a portion of the country that Donald Trump didn't, you can't argue with that. And you heard those those people loud and clear. And, and I have a lot of feelings on whether or not, you know, we can we can parse those grievances all we want. Like maybe Hillary Clinton would have actually been better for people in the industrial Midwest. But again, you got to make your sales pitch. And, and so I think, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the electoral college, first of all, is not going anywhere. So I think, I think that most of these debates are purely theoretical, but I, I think that it's important because I do think, yeah, one vote, one man, one vote makes sense. And I agree with that, but I don't think that just because of, uh, you know, there, there's differences in needs in different parts of the country. What benefits New York does not always benefit Kentucky. And it's tough to create a system necessarily where where it'd be very easy for the only benefits to go to the coast. You know, and, and it's tough. I mean, I, I you're you're from you're from flyover country. You know, that a lot of the a lot of these these places that vote, voted for Donald Trump as abhorrent as there are so many things about the Trump campaign, like a lot of these grievances are justified. There's a lot of forgotten people in this country. And and not to say that there aren't in New York City, you know, but there there's a lot of forgotten people in this country and Donald Trump appealed to them in a way that I don't think anyone could have possibly anticipated. You, me, or talking heads on TV. Okay. I think we will leave it there for today. Uh, I uh, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. Coming on to the show. Great to be here. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, please follow us and download our podcast. Tell your friends to listen as well. Feel free to email us with comments and questions at network at gmail.com. Our audio engineer is Sarah Ibrahim. The conversation is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed in the show are not necessarily the opinions of the show hosts or guests. I am Ed Stone French. We are The Conversation on ELL Radio Network. See you next time.